G'day, everybody. It's time for another Sorno and Redders Ashes podcast. And goodness me, what a time to be recording a podcast after a phenomenal series. First of all, let's welcome the great man himself, Dan Saunders. Hello, Saundo. G'day, Redders. How are you going? Very well, thank you. Our next guest, former Australian Test cricketer, Nathan Bracken. Great to see you, Nathan. Good evening. And Josh Moxie is on, as always, always willing to talk cricket. He's our great man. Hello, mate. How are you? Mate, how are you? Look, it's been a fascinating... The, the, honestly, I can't think of three games that have ebbed and flowed more. It's been extraordinary cricket. I'm going to throw, first of all, we'll, get, we'll have a look at scores and things. Guys, when we were talking, we were all indifferent as to how we thought the series would evolve and who what the scores would be. How has the series been what you expected, or has been there some been some real surprises for you? And I'm not going to direct this anybody. Please jump in. What what have you gathered so far in this three in the three tests so far? I'll jump in first. I'll lead straight off here. Um, I think I mentioned something along the lines of Ashes always provides memorable moments, and I was alluding to there be something that we talk about for 20 years. Unfortunately, we've had well, fortunately, we've had. 14 days of cricket and we have 14 moments that we'll be talking about for the next 15, 20 years. It's been the most entertaining series I can think of since that famous 05 one. Yeah, I think off the off the back of all that, to me, it's it hasn't disappointed. It's delivered what I think Test Cricket needed and I think what the Ashes needed is a big thing. Um, I guess when you look at it going in, the way England was going about their cricket and the way they were trying to play it. I think the first test, they made all the running but didn't get the result. I think in the second test, it worked out fairly even. And again, I think in the third test, England made the running again. And I'll be honest, and not, not a true fast bowler here at all, I think they got their selections right. They took on Australia with something that we've seen Australia have issues with before is, is genuine pace that can move a ball. Um, and also, I guess everybody has that issue, but when you look through the bowling lineup they put up, they had guys that could genuinely move the ball in the air, which we know through past Ashes series and through past series around the world, they have caused problems for the Australian side. And I think they got it right. Having Wood there as that explosive aspect just gives them something different, which they didn't have in the first two tests. Thorndo? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think uh, the introduction of Mark Wood into the series has really blown it wide open. I was stunned that they waited until the third test to pick both Wood and um, Chris Wokes. Uh, look, in England have stuck to their guns with this Baz ball and it's been a very entertaining. I mean, the, the first test was really England's to win and they found a way Australia were good enough to uh, go up 1-0. Uh, said at the start, I, I thought they'd go up 2-0 early. I thought they'd take the running that England try and claw back. They've clawed back in the third and, you know, by rights that third test, you take the rain out, it was barely a three-day test. You take Marsh's phenomenal innings, and no one saw that coming. I mean, no one saw him getting a game, let alone coming in and just playing one of the great Ashes knocks, a runnable 118. But, um, you know, T Travis Head's been one shining light with consistency. Kawhi's got some starts. Um, yeah, interesting, I guess, in the back half uh, with Nathan Lyon going down after playing his 100th consecutive test. It's just had every ingredient as. Josh said he, he picked that there'd be some moments that would happen that would go down in, in history as being sort of those, you know, replay moments. And I, and I think we've seen, seen a few of them already. And I don't think they've stopped. I think there's still plenty of excitement to come. Yes, the, the problem with this test, that's um, the, the, the fourth test, is that the fourth and fifth days look like it's going to be typical Northern English weather, you know, i.e. terrible um, which is not, uh, we all want the test to be played and, you know, you get, you get lots of sunlight, but the, the, they're tipping lots and lots of rain in Manchester. Um, for mine, what's, what, what's been highlights? Wood was brilliant. Wood and Wokes were superb and Wood is rapid. Like, he is seriously quick. And yet, as Nathan would know, you can be a quick bowler and, and not do much with it. And eventually at this level, you'll get found out. If you can move the ball at pace, then that's when you're a dangerous character. And as, as you said earlier on, Wooden Wokes were brilliant. Um, Anderson, sadly, would appear to be almost done. Broad keeps on being broad. Um, and 
yeah, it, England are a little bit dangerous. If 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 Ben Stokes isn't needed to get runs, it makes it a bit interesting for them. Like Brook got runs for the first time. I I want to go back to the second test before I go and look at the scores, guys. And Nathan, I'd love you to take the lead here. Ben Stokes played one of the innings of you'll see, one of the innings of a lifetime. Okay, he's done it a couple of times. Nathan, did Australia err in persisting with trying to? Um, bounce him out. Should they have made the change earlier when they eventually got him in bowling wide of off something frustrating him? As as someone who was always a tactical bowler, do you think that Australia erred significantly in that innings? I guess when you when you look at it and you set up, and I'm going to stretch it out across more than just that test. I think when you look at how both sides have attacked key players, um, and you yep. look at England's attack to head and how they've gone short. I understand the theory and understand the idea behind it. And again, with with Stokes, I understand the theory and the idea behind it, but you've got to give yourself, you've got to look and say, if he bats and doesn't get out, they win, plain and simple. In any scenario, you need to get a batter out. If you don't get a batter out, you lose. It's We all, we all know that scenario. And I think it's about having options in what you do. And obviously going short, Stokes plays a short ball pretty well. He's happy to wear it if he gets himself in a bad position, which takes out that sort of one where you're trying to fend at it and and get it off the shoulder of the bat and, and put the catches in on the offside and those sort of things. If you're happy to cop it and get hit, it makes the short ball the only way you're really getting him out if, he, if he's trying to play the shot. And we saw through that test, he picked and chose what he wanted to hit. He got out of the way of ones he didn't. He wore what he had to. And when it was in an area where he felt comfortable, he had a go at it and he didn't just try and push it around the corner. He had a go at it. And I think the same when you look at how they've approached Travis Head. Um, in the in that test, especially the third test, I was extremely disappointed that they went short straight away. The ball's moving. It's creating issues. Get it up there and give it an opportunity because he hits the ball in certain areas. We've seen that. You look at the wagon wheel that, that comes out. It is very heavy in certain areas. You can control that. And it's the same with Stokes. Stokes will score... He's a bit different because he can score all around the ground, but it is controlling about where they hit, where they hit the ball and and taking that line to outside off stump all of a sudden puts him in a position where he can either hit to where everybody is, one, let everything go, and then all of a sudden have to chase something to try and get up the other end, or it just takes out the opportunity of trying to score runs all around the ground. We've seen short pitch bowling. It can go offside, leg side, and good players can even get it down the ground. So he can hit it anywhere. When you're outside off stump, you're taking out half the field. That's a terrific analysis. And yes, Tra- Travis Head shows you that he's played a lot of cricket at a, at his home Sheffield Shield ground where he's got short square boundaries. Um, but he plays the ball late. And as you said, his wagon wheel's fascinating. Um, I, I would always want to, especially at places like Headingley and, and Old Trafford, you'd always want to put the ball up on some sort of length and let the ball do something because it always will nibble and move around. And going short straight away seems to be you're going to plan C rather than. And I'd imagine as a top-level test bowler, you've got to have a lot of different options. You're going to say, right, we're going to go here, here, and here. But surely you give Wooden, Wokes, and Broad the opportunity to bolt the stumps and bolt the top of up stump. It works for some of the other batsmen. And three of Australia's top four haven't really fired. Smith's made one big knock. Kawaja's been terrific. But Labuschagne and Warner are due. But, yeah, it's fascinating that, it's fascinating that they went to short ball straight away. If Your you thoughts? That, just one thing before you jump across to everybody else, and I'll ask everybody else this question. Please do. What would you rather when you go out to bat have balls that are okay? Nobody likes a ball at their head, but it gives you a chance to see it. You get to choose whether you play it or duck. But if all of a sudden the ball's pitched up on a pitch, you're unsure of what it's doing, the ball is moving, what's harder to play? If you ask that simple question across the board, if you're asked to if you're asked to question every ball for the first 10 balls that you've got to play, it might hit your stumps, might be LB caught behind. You're in the game, or would you prefer 10 balls short that you can probably get out of the way and have a look at? There's no question in my mind. If test cricket can be about survival and attrition, you want to, you want to, you want to bat balls out. And if they're not putting, if they're, if they're not making you play on the front foot and letting you leave balls or let them hit you, you're winning the battle, surely. Mm. Well, to illustrate that point, look where they're bowling to Warner, look where they're bowling to Wilbur Shane, look where they're bowling to Smith. And they're nicking off. 
I think it was the third test, the first seven wickets um, were all caught between keeper and second slip. Um, and again, head plays his shots. Head, if head doesn't get off the mark of the boundary in his first couple of balls, it's 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 by the end of by the end of the handful, he's rarely not going to run a ball early. Um, yeah, look, England, England's Australia's tactics um, with the ball been very interesting. I guess it's very easy to sit here at midnight, one, two in the morning, get very frustrated when you don't know the conversations are happening in the in the uh yeah, in the team environment. And Nathan would have first hand experience of, of what's that like. You, you could tell after a while they were bowling to a plan. But as you said, Red is going going straight to plan C and then when it's not working, what do you do? Hand, hands that going throw in the air and Yeah, uh we that second test had yeah, just Nightmare uh, memories of, of that fourth test from 2019, and luckily, um, well for Australia, hoax held up, held out in the outfield off Murphy. Um, yeah, look, it's it's been fascinating. It really has, it really has. Josh, yeah, I was just going to quickly touch on the short pitch bowling tactics from both sides. It's worked at times, and. We've all alluded on maybe it's not the right thing to do straight away. But what I was really perplexed with in the second test in particular was they seemed to have a plan for Stokes and it wasn't working. It eventually worked, but they went to the same tactic straight away to Broad. And Nathan alluded to get it full, get the stumps into play, LBW, sneak off. And then if that doesn't work, then go short. But yeah, Broad came out. It was a bit fiery. He was up for the, the challenge of being hit and... By the end of it, he was putting a couple, you know, 10 rows back as well. So, yeah, very interesting, but uh, it's been entertaining at the same time. Entertaining is an understatement. Test one, Australia won by two wickets, a ridiculous game of cricket, just superb. England declared on the first day, everybody, eight for 393, Root 118, Besto 78 to run a ball, four for, for Nathan Lyon, four for 149, if you don't mind. The second, Australia replied with 386. Usman Khawaja, a magnificent 141. Carey, an important 66. Ollie Robinson, three for Stuart Broad, three for. England, 273 in the second dig. Importantly, no one made 50. Pat Cummins, four for 63. Nathan Lyon, eight for, for the test. And then Australia were in all sorts. They were gone. And Pat Cummins found a way to win this game. I didn't wasn't up at that stage. It was a bit late for me with it being, I said, I couldn't believe Australia won. That's that's clearly got to be the best innings that Pat Cummins has ever played in a baggy ring. He's not a bad he's not a bad stick as a, at his at his, where he bats, but just a great game of cricket. And Kawaja more runs. He made two hundred in the Test, gentlemen. Yeah, Kawaja just following on with that great form that he's he's been under. Been I think um, you touched on Paddy Cummins' best innings. It was one of Nathan Lyons as well. Yeah. To be honest, some of the shots that he played and, and choosing when to play a shot and when to defend and leave a ball was um, yeah, crucial to getting over the line because we lost line, we would have been in big strife. I think when you when you look at it as well, probably going into the fourth innings, Australia were favourites to win that. And let's... England made the running. They got the game on the table, obviously, the way they went about it in the first innings, taking the gambles, declaring the night before. Um, but I think when you go into that fourth innings, Australia are firm favourites. And I know Australia win the test, but for England as a bowling unit, you sit there and go, well, hang on. If it wasn't for these two amazing performances at the end, they're winning that test and walking away going, hey, this theory works. It works against the best team in the world who've just won the trophy that says that. And you have a look even going to Lords. They still would have come out of that first test with confidence. I don't think the first two tests they got their bowling lineup right. Correct. There's no, there's absolutely no question they didn't. And look how dangerous they were when they did get it right, Nathan and guys. Well, it's, it's bowling at the stumps. You've got to give yourself the opportunity. And and you have a look at the wicket that I wouldn't have played Mark Wood in the first test. Looking at that wicket, it was dead. And all you're going to do a bloke like that, he needs you need to look after him. And I understand through the series they're going to rotate the bowlers. Maybe it was something for Wokes, who's got enough zip when he bowls. He's going to move the new ball early. He's going to give himself that opportunity, and also he can bat. And then going into the test at Lords, then you can change your lineup. You can have a look at what you've got. They got it right going in there. I think you'll find Anderson may come back in, especially with it being his home track. And I reckon you could look, if, if Woods has pulled up okay with the break, you could look at, could be Woods and Wokes with Broad missing the next test, because... 
These guys are on. It gives a batting good depth and the ability to take wickets. And that's the biggest thing. That's what they missed in the first test. If they had somebody that could have done something different through that first test, we're talking a totally different series because I think if England win the first test, it could be three zip by now. It's that close. It genuinely is that close. It's a that that um, Josh said it in our first podcast. Little moments are making all the difference, and they have so far. Um, On to the second test. It's the only innings, remarkably, where anyone's made four hundred in in the whole three tests. Australia four sixteen, Steve Smith hundred, um, hundred and ten. Travis had seventy odd. Josh Tung three for eighty nine. Ola Robinson three for hundred. England replied with three twenty five. Duck at ninety eight. Brook fifty. Stark three and Travis Head somehow burgled two wickets with his right arm straight breaks, as what Jim Maxwell would call them. Call them. Australia 279. And I thought Australia were in a bit of strife when they only made 279. Kawaja 77, broad four for. And then England 327. With a, when you look at this innings, Stokes has made 155 and Duckett's made 83. But the others haven't done too much, to be honest. Three first for Cummins and Stark. And the highlight was that ridiculous innings from Bed Stokes, a magnificent 155 where it was raining sixes down on that terrace. Kitty hitting down the hill. Guys, just a superb, another brilliant game of cricket that ebbed and flowed. Yeah. Yep. Well, yep. Sorry, you got it, I was going to say another test full of what, fantastic moments. Nathan Lyon walking out the bat on one leg, which... At the time, people were probably rightfully saying, do we need the extra 15 runs or whatever we got? But late on day five, probably handy to have those runs and you've got the stumping. So many things happen. But um, Josh Tung's three for, I think, has been glossed over because the way he got uh, Warner and Kawaja in the first innings was some of the best bowling in the series and then hasn't played again. So interesting from England, but yeah, fantastic watching Nathan, have you ever been in a situation where, uh, in your uh, in your career, where you did have to go and bat low with a significant injury? And talk us through the mindset of that. Has that ever ever happened to you in your anywhere in your career? Yeah, I've batted with broken fingers, torn side muscles, broken ribs. Um, you go back to basics. That's like the thing is when you go in those positions, ninety nine times out of a hundred, your job is you're surviving. You're not going out there, you're not going to play a big, lavish cover drive first ball and dance down the pitch to the spinners. It's about the support you're giving at the other end. Um, and it's, like I found some injuries help um, and it's because you you simplify everything. You don't get complicated. You don't try and get really a long way forward to things. You just watch the ball, get yourself in a position and try and simplify everything as much as you can. Obviously, with leg injuries, it, it makes it difficult in movement side of things. But it's it's staying as still as you can. Um, like you look at some of the best batters that have played Test cricket around the world. There's not there's some of them that don't have a lot of footwork. They're not big strides down the pitch. It's about balance and weight transfer. And the big thing is when everything's sore and you're back to basics, you probably find some of the guys do it a bit better. And again, you're not going to chase that wide one, which may tempt you when you when you're fit and healthy. All of a sudden, you you're a lot more controlled in what you're looking to do. I think one of the best examples of that is Kane Williamson. Doesn't move his feet much, but his weight transfer is superb. Smith moves his feet a lot, sometimes extravagantly. Coley's probably in the middle of that. Um, and there are, you know, uh, there's a couple of Pakistani bats. When I see the Pakistanis, you know, well, again, they've can, got terrific footwork as well, although Pakistan's going to be really tested in Australia in summer. On to the third test, and all, through, all four innings were 263 or less. Australia 263 and 224. England 237. And when England got 237, I thought there's an opportunity to go 3 0. Unfortunately for Australia, Broad and Wakes, three for each. Australia made 224. Travis Head went berserk and it was great to watch. And England, and again, in another up and down test match where Stark bowled beautifully, five for 78 after Cummins took six for 91 in the first. Harry Brooks stood up, made 75. And uh, Wokes and Wood, as was mentioned a few minutes ago, got them home. Uh, uh, Great test at Headingley. Um, not surprised to see those scores at Headingley. And just another superb game of cricket. Mark Wood, five for 34 and two for 66, man of the match in a great performance from Wood, who's all, still still got some issues with his elbow. But goodness me, he was rapid and 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 he moved the ball around the place, guys. He was terrific. Yeah, he, he was fantastic. He was, I mean, that was an interesting inning. Australia batted first, four for 80 early. 
Um, and then that great partnership with uh, Mitchell Marsh and, and supported by Head. And then they lost their last six wickets for, I think, 34 runs or 33 runs where Mark Wood just obliterated our tail. I mean, the 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 value that Cummins and Stark and, and generally Lyon and Hazelwood have given over the years with the ability to score runs and add that extra 100, 120 to the total, which in a series like this is just gold. Um, if you see, they'll just put it up here now. He, he went straight through Stark, Cummins, Murphy got a couple away to the fence. Um, but the tail there was 20, 23 runs between them in, in the last four. Um, again, as I kicked off with it, he, he was... He's been a big difference. If if England can somehow go on and win these last two games, a lot of that's going to be on the back of some of the bowling figures of Mark Wood. I, I really believe that. I'd go as far as to say, if England go up 3-2, Mark Wood will be player of the series. I think he is that important to England's chances. I think their batting, uh, their cavalier approach is cancelled out. We've, we've got blokes there that can score runs and score at a, a pretty good clip, and that, that's been shown. Um I think our bowling superior, and I think with this test we're about to talk about, I think we're back. We've got our best available on the park that they're willing to select. Um, yeah, but that, that third test, England were due to win one. Stokes again, you know, with, with the bat, he's just if you don't get him early, it's it's how much damage can he do? And he's he's just leading by example. He's he's a a true captain, um, and I mean he, he's basically being picked on his batting alone. Um, and he's <laughs> he's the first batsman you pick. Let's yeah. go to that fourth test, guys. You we were talking about Wokes and Wood batting low. Australia is going to play two all rounders, and I'm assuming, guys, are you reading that like I am that Kerry will bat at eight? Is yeah, that Kerry. the way you see it? Yep. It's a very interesting decision. No specialist spinner. It is at Manchester. Um, guys, your thoughts on the makeup of the Australian side, please. I'll leave it to you guys to start. I'll jump in at the end. <laughs> I'll, I'll jump in. I think, you know, at the start of the series, I would have thought that if Warner didn't fire, we'd probably see the end of him. But the longer the series has gone on and think about Australia have batted in the worst conditions throughout the tests so far and England have batted in the best best conditions and there's been a couple of starts from Warner and Kawaja, which give you hope that if they get to bat under blue skies, that you know maybe it's the right thing to do. And I alluded to Saundo last night that it could even come to a point where Kawaja just wants to go out and bat with his mate that he's known for 30 years. He doesn't want to change it mid-series. So there's been a lot of talk about Warner, but then you, you go to the back end and not pick a spin as an interesting one. And that might be down to conditions and the look of the, the wicket plus the weather conditions. So... I think it was good for Australia to lengthen their tail. We saw what Wood did in that first inning. So to give a little bit of strength and maybe, you know, Nessa's been doing a fantastic job over there in county cricket that a lot of people jumped up and thought he would come in. But, um, and they've just had a toss in England of bowling first. So we'll see Mark Wood in half an hour. Um, so, yeah, some interesting decisions, but I'm not surprised. Marsh forced the hand that he would get picked in the fourth test. And then it was just a decision about Murphy or um, Green. And I think uh, I think they've gone the right way. Dondo. Yeah, look, uh, after the third test, and again, how how Murphy, I guess, more, more wasn't used, more so how he was used, he wasn't used. And being a must-win test, I'd, I thought this was the way they would go as far as going over four quicks, especially seeing England have done the same. Um I think with Ali going up to threes, that's going to be an issue for England. But as far as Australians' team, they're going to continue to persist with Warner, and so be it. I mean, I picked him for player of the series, so I really want a big 200 from him today. Um, but I think Josh has got it right. I think that that top six, it's stable, or the top five is stable. Green out, Marsh come in. After Marsh's efforts, and not only that 118, um, wicket, wicket in both innings, um, big important wicket in both innings. He, he, he had to play. And so if Marsh stays in at six and Green's fit for play, Murphy's position... Now, if Nathan Lyon was fit, Nathan Lyon's in that team. We all know that. So, um, obviously, Nathan Lyon and Todd Murphy, they're completely different creators. Uh, but Mur Murphy's... Um, you know, he's got a long future ahead of him. 
um, that the conditions would would suggest that um, it's going to be very pace friendly. Um, they've got their rotations right to have Stark, Hazewood, and Cummins all fit and available for this fourth test. Um, my only thing, and I've spoken to Josh a fair bit about this over the last few days, like there was like word come out that um, Cricket Australia had Glenn Maxwell uh, play a county game in the lead up to his fourth test there, and he scored eighty odd and. What I thought was very interesting in the second innings, he also bowled 19 overs of offspin. Maxwell bowled 19 overs in an inning. So I thought they might have been looking to maybe pull him out and bring him in as Murphy's replacement. Um, and that would really lengthen that batting order. But then would you classify Maxwell and Travis Head about on par with their, with their offspin ability? That's up to people to, to judge. Uh, Maxwell in the field, you know how brilliant he is. Um, and, and the form of Michael Neister over there in county cricket, scoring runs for fun. We know he's bowling for those conditions. Um, but once again, Green was the incumbent. Um, you know, hard to leave him out if he's back to full fitness. So I really like the look of the team. Um, I think if they did drop Warner, it might have just put a bit of disharmony in the camp and, uh, while it may have strengthened, maybe there was an argument for Marsh to go and open and, and have Green at six, and whether that meant they kept Murphy or whether it brought Nisa in and had another um, all-rounder, I, I don't know. But I, I really like the balance of this 11, and I've got, yeah, I, I mean, I think they're going to win this test, uh, provided there's not overly a lot of rain. I think day four is looking like it's basically going to be no cricket going off their forecast, but... I think with the acceleration of, of the games, if, you know, the runs are getting scored, the rate, the games are getting completed in good time. You know, the, the match well may go down to a you know a session on day five, even if we lose day four. Similar to the last test where we lost nearly a day, uh, day three we lost most of that terrain. Nathan, I'm probably going to have a different approach. I think Australia's sandbagging the the lineup a little bit. Um, to me, it's not. It's not the positive approach that you expect from an Australian side. Um, obviously, Marsh put himself in the position where you had to pick him. Um, but then it does put... I know we sit there and go, obviously, yep, it strengthens the batting order. He's just come off 100, et cetera, et cetera. But what you also look at is you're running two all-rounders through the middle there. Um, so if it is... If England do happen to get it right and bat for a long period of time and get a couple of early wickets, all of a sudden, if I'm England... In the second, in going into Australia's second innings, you'd be looking if you can get Australia three or four down fairly quickly, it can get you into guys that have done a fair bit of work in the field, have bowled and batted under pressure. Um, I think there there needed to be there needed to be a change at the top of the order, and I think Australia's gambled on the fact under England's rotation of bowlers, they've probably looked at the fact that Broad was probably 50-50 to play. Um, because you look at his record against Warner, he that'd probably be, and I'm not jinxing things here, but that'd probably be the first person you'd have a look at in the lineup. If you're Stuart Broad, you'd make sure David Warner's playing because he's had good success. Um, but yeah, my my just concern is it's just it doesn't seem as positive as what we what we put on the table in the first couple of tests. Um, I think the side in the first first couple of tests was we were looking to to be in the position to deal with the conditions and play with the conditions. Now I think we've sort of, I think our hand's been forced a bit. Um, I think we showed last test there wasn't a lot of trust in Murphy as a spinner yet in these conditions. Obviously, in India, he bowled exceptionally well. But in these conditions, you there's going to be, at a period of time, somebody's going to have to bowl some overs to get, whether it is to, to give guys a break or to, to adapt to the conditions. And I just don't know if we've got that bowler anymore. Um, the bowlers we've got are all guys that are going to take your wickets. They're all guys that are going to be aggressive. But where at the other end are you going to have somebody that they can, that's going to be their anchor, that's going to lock that end up, control that end, and get through there? And I think when you have a look at, at Travis Head, Glenn Maxwell as a comparison in a spinner, I think Maxwell does turn the ball. Um, and I think he's bowled a fair bit more and I would look at him as a, as a better spin option if that's the way they were going to go. But you need somebody and Nathan Lyon's done it exceptionally well. And it's why he's had an amazing career because he knows what to do. He knows, Hey, I've got the quicks doing their job at the other end, control the game, keep the guy here, keep the pressure on, don't give anything away. And then when you flip it now, you're going to have, 
if you've got Stark and Cummings going, they're both going to be attacking. And all of a sudden, there's a potential, if England get in and players get going, to start leaking runs fairly quickly. And where's that stability come in that a Nathan Lyon has, has provided for 100 tests? Hey, we're not going to find a replacement straight away, but if you're not trying to make that replacement or create that opportunity for somebody, then we're sort of just shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit. I think they've erred in not picking Murphy. I would have had a more balanced attack. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how Australia do this. Remember, that the, the spinners are going to have to bowl. There's a couple of reasons why you they've got to bowl their overs. I mean, I know that there's fines or whatever else, but the over rate is a concern. And you'll, with all, the, almost every over in this test match will probably be bowled by, by seamers. Um, but no, I, I would have had Murphy in for balance. I think he's good enough. I think he's going to be a terrific test cricket for Australia. They didn't have faith in him at Lords. Okay, that's a decision at, the, at game time. I understand that. I, I, that. That's what they've got to do. They won the game. But yeah, I, 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 I certainly would have picked Murphy. Um, I just I just love the idea of having a frontline spinner because I thought that was one of the things that we had better than England all the way through was the fact that we had a better spinner. Um, Nathan Lyon took eight in the first test as an example. Who would you leave out, Renners? If if Murphy was to be picked for this team, who would who would be the one to give way or make way? Green. Cameron Green. Yep. I'm going Hazelwood. There you go. I think I think you get enough out of enough out of Green and Marsh. Um, that that between those two, you're probably going to get a bowler and a half out of the overs they can contribute. Um Cummings, we've obviously seen the workload that he can get through. Stark, the same. Um, and then when you look on, Murphy's going to give you that. And let's look at the let's look at it totally different to what everybody else has looked at. What happens if that pitch isn't as fast bowler friendly as we, we're all sitting here looking at the side saying, hey, this is what it is. Mm. I know I've played so many games, you walk out, look at it, it's green as, as anything, and all of a sudden come after lunch, it's not seeming around. It's not doing anything. It's sliding onto the bat nicely. You've got no options. And all of a sudden, Australia's going to have Travis Head, who's been a key batter for us, and that's his job, to score runs. Imagine having to get him to bowl 15 or 20 overs in a day to all of a sudden, because the conditions have changed, the pressure's on, he's having to bowl extra overs. That then affects your batting lineup. And I think if we're going to have the all-rounders in there, understand they're both exceptional cricketers and have both provided plenty through the series. But I just think, yeah, the balance with having that spin option or having somebody that can bowl a bulk amount of overs is is something we're going to miss. If it if it does go, take out the weather, if we get in four and a half good days of cricket, that's a lot of overs that are going to be bowled. In fact, many years ago, um, the same sort of scenario happened. Australia left, the, left their spin bowling to Marcus North in a series as the final test at the Oval. You'll remember they dropped, they picked Stuart Clark on an absolute dust bowl at the Oval. And North had to do exactly that. Now, we bowled beautifully, but it, it does have a background. It has a flow-on effect, as Nathan said. Guys, what do you got What do you got for me this test match? Who, who, who do you favour and why? Well, I'll jump in first. I just saw a quick stat that the last time Australia played a test without a front-line spinner... Warner made 180. Off 159 balls. Yeah. That won't happen here because he's not facing pie. He's not facing pie chuckers on a flat on a flat as hell uh, Perth belter in forty degrees. Be that as it may, but I'm I'm just trying to get as many positive affirmations from my man Davy. Um, I mean, we remember Steve Smith four years ago at the same ground, a double century, and then then like eighty odd in the second innings. Um, look, I think the big key now that we know Australia's batting first, they just need to bat all day, bat till stumps, pile on the run, score three fifty. 360. Um, the weather looks... I said there may be a little bit of rain around lunch, but that's it. Day two and three are supposed to be clear. Day four is the issue. And, uh, I mean, it can go in so many different ways. I mean, they, we, we could be five down at lunch. We could be none for 120. That's Who, who knows? But um, I think the, the big key here is, I think, Mark Wood for England. I, I think if he can do a job on day one, he can really set England up to claw their way back to two all. Um, Smith Jew, he scored 100 there. I think it was the first test he, he got his ton. Played his 100th test uh, in Second. the last test. Um, now that that's out of the way, I expect to see Steve Smith um, go really well. And, um, yeah, I I think Australia will win the match. I mean, I, I picked the 4-1 series, and to get to that, they have to win this to go up 3-1. So, Australia, um, bowling England out, 
in the first session on day five to win the test. Joshua? Very specific. Um, I think Mark Wood keeps getting brought up, and I think it's key for Australia to bat this day out. We're in the last test. He got into the tail on day one. He didn't get into that third or fourth spell to tire him out for the second innings. He was fresh as fresh can be. So it's a lot of pressure on that top four to bat long today and ensure that he's back well on tomorrow, set up the game from day one and day two. I'm leaning towards Australia, but it's been a series where catches are taken or things sort of flip on the head, 50-50 calls and things like that. It could easily be a completely different series. So I'm back in Australia, but God, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Nathan Bracken too. Yeah, um, I think the first, and I know it's an old cliche, I think the first half hour is going to show us where it's going to sit. Um, I know we've all jumped on the, the Markwood bandwagon, but with the comment of Jimmy Anderson's pretty much done, I think we've just locked him in for Pfeiffer in this test. Uh, <laughs> I think there's no there's no surer way to, to get somebody like... And the thing is, he's at home. He knows the conditions exceptionally well. He moves the ball very well. Um, and I think there was enough evidence in that. I think probably in the first two tests, he bowled a little bit short to where we normally expect Jimmy Anderson to be. I think that break plus the extra time through the middle with the, the extra days off, he's going to be fresh and, and looking to, to sort of make a statement. Um, he's always been their trump card they've gone to and to have Mark Wood in that position and stepping up, he's going to want to be, he's going to want to be that, that person. Um, I think for England, their, their lineup they've got bowling-wise is going to put them in a strong position because you look at guys there that can bowl some serious overs. Um, Mark Wood will, I'd be looking at probably 20 to 21 overs in a day. I think that's all they're going to use him for. That's yep. uh, how I'd use him. And you'd, you'd keep him fresh right through the test um, as much as you can. Short spells, four overs, let him go, bowl him downwind, let him just, let him fly. As soon as he looks tired, pull him out and give somebody else a go. But I still think the way it goes, if the first, if Australia can get through the first half hour and the ball's not going everywhere and and it's and we're in a strong position, I think it's going to come down to to three and four for Australia. That's the key. Those two need to score runs. Um, and it's if they can get if they can get runs, then and let's have a look. They're looking at both their records. They're both due. They're both overdue for for good scores again. Um, but I think it's going to be tight. And I think that weather is going to play a massive, massive role. And depending how much rain does fall to how it affects the pitch, because playing over there, a bit of rain around and, and all that can all of a sudden keep that pitch together a little bit more that come day five, chasing 250 on a, on a fifth day wicket is all of a sudden gettable. We've seen England do it before. We've seen him get themselves in positions. And I think it's going to come down. It's going to be, I'm going to go and sit on the fence. I'm going to say it's going to be a draw due to weather. But I'm going to say it's going to be a close draw. It's not going to be something where it's it's all of a sudden somebody's hanging on. It'll be by the end of it, England will need 50 or 60 to win it. And Australia only need a couple of wickets when it ends up at the end of the day. But I think it'll be the weather will be the one that ruins probably what could be a, a magical test. And it, uh, my thunder's just been stolen. I uh, that, I think the same thing. I have been thinking all along it would be a draw due to the weather. The forecast is not good. Uh, I think it'll be a thrilling draw, but I think Australia will retain the Ashes through a through a drawn through a drawn fixture. I think there'll be something like a day and a half to a day and three quarters lost. And admittedly, these two sides can probably conspire to produce a Test match result in three and a quarter days. But I think that I think it'll be a draw. Uh, everything that's been said is is you know a very good reflection of where it's at. I think it's going to be tight, compelling cricket again. I would like to see Labuschagne get some runs. He's due. He's really due. Um, and, yeah, a couple of... Crawley and Duckett have been okay, but they haven't punished us. Brooks looked at a time... That Sykes has been their best bat. So I, I, I think we can still get at them. Um, Besto's been all right. I think he's still struggling with what happened at Lords. I, I'm not sure, you know, uh, how he's going to recover from that, but he's a Yorkshireman and they're pretty tough people, so... Interesting times, guys. Just before I let you go, can you talk me through the West Indies producing the uh, first uh, in the first? So they're playing India at home in Dominica. They turn up and they produce a pitch that looks like a third day Mumbai deck 
with Ravi Chandranashwan and Ravindra Jadeja in the other side, and the ball's going square from session one. Why would you do that against this Indian side with one of the best duos spin bowling bowling combinations of all time? It doesn't make sense. There are there are other tactics weren't working. So, <laughs> so they didn't want to pay for ground staff on day four and five, maybe. Um, yeah, perplexing. Absolutely. Oh, you uh, um, and look, Cornwall's actually not a bad bowler, but they're. they're as I said off air before, who would you rather face, Ashwin and Jardasia or Jamel Warwickan and Raheem Cornwall in a test match? Admittedly, Cornwall's turning a lot. But just I don't understand, why would you not produce at least an even deck? You've just seen an even pitch at the Oval where Australia played in a test final and India are gettable. Why not go and do that? Especially with guys like Kemar Roach, who's actually a pretty, he's a pretty decent test cricketer. I just, it, it, I just don't understand sometimes. Sordo, your thoughts? Oh, look, I, I don't know. I, I guess West Indies is just the Hail Mary. Thought, well, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. But, yeah, it's it's they probably thought that their, bat, their batsman would maybe dominate on, on, a, on a wicket that's uh, played that way, but they got it wrong. Yeah, then again, the BCCI run cricket, and, you know, they're probably playing the curators. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Well, maybe, maybe, green option, maybe green options in the week. <laughs> and a big cheerio to, to a, a dear friend of mine and, and, a, and the Novik Estrian, Bert Cockley, who's doing great things with the Washington Freedom over there in the United States T20 tournament. I see Matthew Wade had a day out last night. There's some pretty decent cricketers running around that in that tournament. It's actually fair dick, and they're playing a lot of cricket where Bertie's based in Dallas. But the New South Wales, um, uh, cricket New South Wales is heavily behind the Washington Freedom guys. And it's very exciting to see, see good cricket being played. In, and I'm genuine about this. It's great to see good cricket being played in North America. Well, I think next year there's no uh, test for Australia over our winter. So you could see it with the Cricket Victoria and Cricket New South Wales connections to franchises. You could see some, some really big names playing over there next year. I, I think they need it. Uh, when you have a look at... At the other sports, they've got the superstars that that play in those, and you know, like you have a look at even you go to the the major league soccer over there with Messi signing there in a in a record groundbreaking deal that sort of I guess changes the the playing field for everybody going forward. It um, absolutely does. It changes American sport. The Messi yeah. deal, Nathan. It simply does because that at the end MLS. For marquee players, doesn't have a salary cap. Remember, and also, but having the having all the little things on the back end, it's it's a new deal that's just opened the world to to all of a sudden. I wouldn't be surprised in in other franchise sports where you do see these opportunities to to bring in a a Coley or these sort of players, which probably wouldn't you couldn't afford or you couldn't go through the process of having um, to all of a sudden have that those sort of similar deals to bring these players in, especially in America, they've shown they're happy to to go down that path. And imagine seeing the best players around the world having that opportunity. The only sad thing is it's, it's going to get to the point, I think, where with the push in the Northern Hemisphere, um, you're going to see the fact of, of England players and the Northern Hemisphere players maybe pushing more towards franchise cricket and going away from, from playing county cricket and those things up there, which is, I think, on the big picture with the ashes and the way this is being played, that's probably my only concern with with the growth of the North American side of the sport because at the, when you sort of look at it, there wasn't a lot. They tended to come down here to play and, and go to South Africa and be involved in all those tournaments. And and now you've obviously seen, obviously seen the, the ECBs stepped aside with them going to the IPL. Um, they allow that to occur. And once the money starts to come up in the, in the other side of things, it, it's going to happen across the board and, and it's just going to be the impact it's going to have across the board to the longer form of the game. I think one of the things. I think one of the things that put. Sorry, if I can, people do not understand in Australia how many people who hail from the subcontinent live in the United States and Canada. There are millions of um, people who come from the subcontinent that live there because they've seen the opportunity of, of living a decent life, and you, they're all cricket mad. Sorry, Josh. And the Caribbean. I was going to touch on the the yes, contract yes. situation at the moment. So you got. Um, the ECB offering a multi-year deal to Harry Brook, which has never been done in in ECB cricket. With then on the foot side, you got Jofra Archer, who was offered a twelve-month uh, contract with one of the franchises in the IPL. So he could be a one of those 
players who jumps around from franchise to franchise and have to get permission to play f- by his club to play for uh, international cricket. So it's interesting to see how it will all play out. And I tend to agree with the way that the messy contract was um, negotiated and came to a, um, a final sort of conclusion that you could see more players of that calibre going down that route where they just can leverage themselves to get more money and test cricket doesn't have a leg to stand on. But that's where basketball and this series that we've been talking about is so valuable because it's will end up being about 30 days of cricket or 25 days of cricket, which uh, is far more enjoyable to watch than T20 cricket in North America or India or South Africa, for me anyway. Sondo? Yeah, well, I think it's it's the way of the future, this franchise cricket, but I'm a traditionalist, so I want to watch test cricket and I want to watch exciting, competitive, tense test cricket, which, you know, we're, we're getting in abundance here in the ashes. Um, but I, I just think there's going to be less countries who are going to be competitive at test level. It's already happened. Well, I know. We're sort of like a three... It's like Australia, England and India, and then there's a bit of a gap. Pakistan at home, yeah, they, they, they come you, to the party. You, you would have to throw New Zealand at that. They're a pretty good test cricket side. Yeah, New Zealand have been very consistent. But again, there's five teams, you know, and you look at Sri Lanka and the West Indies and um, you know, things of that nature. And then you even look at the one day, like the West Indies have failed to qualify for the 50-over World Cup. I mean, that's that's just... Yep. That's just point. astounding. Um, so, yeah, the change is afoot. And um, I, I think we need to enjoy Test cricket as it is for as long as we can because, you know, in, in another 20 or 30 years, who, who knows? Who knows? But while ever there's money involved in big money involved in sport, tradition and history is going to go by the wayside. Did you give, are you giving it 20 to 30 years? I think, I think what oh, you look at now is you, you look at, um, for example, the contracts that are offered to the West Indian creators, you earn more going and sp- spending what two months in the, in the IPL and playing that than you do for a contract for 12 months. Um, well, you can't blame them, can't blame no. them. 12 try three years, they're not well paid in the West Indies. No, I think, but you've got to look at the average, you can't look at what the you can't take in what say somebody like a Russell or those sort of things. You look, say you. Say you look at taking 50 to 100 US, um, you play your tests and do all those sort of things. You're probably looking at comparative to, to a 12-month sort of cycle with cricket, prize money, et cetera. Yep. Um, but I think that's going to be the biggest thing. It's the pull of the, of the players coming through in other countries. I think Australia, England, India is always going to have that constant thing. But now with the IPL contracts, looking to contract them per year, um, and those sort of things and the changes of, of keeping them on per tournaments. Um, and that's the thing. Like, I know when, when it was originally discussed, there was in the contract, it said you were available for two tournaments when I first signed to the IPL, and there was only one. So you already saw that the IPL was looking to grow. And have a look at some of those names and some of those teams that are running around in, basically, when you have a look at the Caribbean Premier League, and their association, and you have a look at the ones that are running around in the US as well, their names and who they're associated with, there's a very strong link running across that all of a sudden these franchises are going to be buying players that will be playing in the IPL, they'll go and play in the Caribbean, they'll go and play in the US, and all of a sudden that's what they're doing. And that's where it's going to set up because I'm sure when you look at the same brands and the same owners running across and around the world, Hey, it is what it is, and it's going to come down to that. And and hopefully it gets it gets big enough like football has um, around the world, where it's too big for one person to own two or three teams. And all of a sudden, then we're going to see it maybe even out a little bit. But at the moment, you can buy into some of these franchises. You look, I know in the in the Caribbean Premier League, I think half or three quarters of them are owned by people associated to the IPL. Um, and then you've got same names running around in as you do in the IPL running around in the US. So is there a connection there? I'm not saying there is. Uh, I don't know enough and I haven't looked into who owns what, but when you sort of look at that that crossover, it's going to be there. And and that's the sort of concern with the Ashes series we've seen. Are we going to see this in three years' time or five years' time or 10 years' time? Is it going to change that dramatically in that period of time? Um, who knows? But I think T20 at the moment has improved test cricket. It has made it more exciting. It's it's opened up the skill set for all the players. 
bowlers, batters, fielders, the skill sets changed. You have a look at the things that players can do now that are expected as stock standard. And that's what it is. That's why the, the test cricket's evolving. And I think that's why we're getting that break at the moment between your sides, because your good sides are playing a mixture of both, whereas your other sides probably aren't getting enough test cricket to be able to put those skills to work and learn those skills and, and continue it in the longer format. Interestingly, none of us have talked about the other format, which is 50 over cricket, which the MCC last week came out and uh, called for radical change that the next, the 2027 World Cup might be the last. Uh, 50 over cricket's the one that's in danger. 50 over cricket clearly is in danger. It's a seven or eight hour go. They've tried all these things. You've got you've got the first, you know, uh, inside the first power plays injuries, but then people just put their fieldsmen back. And I think 50 over cricket's the one, which is bizarre that it would be, but I think it's the one that's in the most danger, to be quite honest with you. Um, and you wonder, people, T20 professionals, just before I finish up, people like Kyron Pollard, you wonder what kind of a first-class and test cricket he would have actually been if he'd have focused, got his body completely right and played first-class cricket. I, I don't know. I'm not quite sure that he was bowling is good enough to be a decent test cricketer, but he's virtually never played that because he's made a, such a f- huge living playing, you know, um, playing T20 cricket all around the world and done a pretty good job of it. For a big man, like he, he's not someone you want to run on and do on a rugby league field. Kieran Pollard's a big dude. <laughs> he's a big, he's a big, big specimen. Guys, thank you so much for your time. I know you want to get off and watch the cricket. Like, thank you so much. It's been, I can see to talk with you, you, you three blokes for hours. It's fascinating to listen to your opinions. Um, Josh Moxie, thank you so much, sir. It's great to be, see you again, my friend. Pleasure. Anytime. Nathan Bracken, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for giving us your time again. No, not around the world. Saundo, it's been a pleasure having the two journeys with us. It's great to sit there, Vic Mac and listeners. Thank you so much for turning this up, my friend. It's to, but just talking cricket with with this particular cohort is a real privilege for me. Um, Saundo, great job, mate. No, 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 no. Thank, thank Josh and, and, and Nathan for their time. And I love sitting here being the dumbest guy in the room. It's fantastic. I, I was quite, quite confident that I was quite confident that was me, guys. Thank uh, you so much. Um, really appreciate your time. We'll catch up later on. Uh, but on behalf of Nathan, Saundo, and Josh, for now, this is David Redden. Bye, bye, everyone.